My grandson, Huxley, picked up these little things he called pine cones. They actually happen to be acorn tops, if you know what I'm talking about. The little thing looks like a little hat. And he was so curious about these things. He's like, Paul, Paul, look, pine cone. My first thought was, those stinking annoying little things, did the squirrels bring them down here in my yard? Because they're killing the grass that I planted last fall. And I thought to myself, listen to yourself, you old man. Next thing I'm going to do is yelling at the kids across the street or in the cul-de-sac, get off my lawn! <laughs> so I, I want to I start right here with all of you, because I know some of you are similar to me and some of you aren't. That's probably a good thing. But those of you are, sorry. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could stay forever young? Some of you may go, I don't know if I liked that, that one year when I was 14 or 12. No, what I wanted you to do, I really want you to close your eyes. And I'm not going to continue until I see every eye closed. I'm going to close mine now and not step off this stage. Take yourself back to when you were four or five years old. Do you see yourself? I know some of you, like me, you have to move through some decades. Some of you, maybe only a decade or two. Some of you, maybe not even a decade. Can you see yourself? Maybe you're barefoot. Maybe you got dirt on your clothing. Maybe you got a milk mustache. Maybe you got pigtails. I don't know. Can you go back and sit right there for just a minute? Think of yourself at that age. Okay, you can open your eyes. Do you realize at that age, you are marvelous? Do you realize at that age that you were created in the image of God and thankfully, at that age, you haven't had enough life to really taint it. That's not to say that a two- or three-year-old doesn't have some issues. They certainly do. But there is something about them at that age. There's something about you and I at that age. We were extraordinary. We had unlimited potential. If you believe that God created you or created this earth, he put his fingerprint on you and, and made you to be this just amazing thing, this amazing person. And I don't think most of us ever really think of ourselves that way. Surveys have been done about people, like if I asked you all, who in this room thinks they're a genius? They say less than 1% or 2% might raise their hand. And yet studies have been done on five-year-olds creativity study or a genius study, maybe it's both is what they said. You know what percentage of those five-year-olds tested out or assessed out at the genius level? 98%. And the 2%, we were going to blame their parents because they probably let them stay up late the night before and they kind of slept through the assessment. 98%. So think about that. Each and every one of us was a childhood prodigy, just in waiting. Now, we watch a video like we did earlier, and we see some kids that are like, what the heck? 
What was his word? Holy cow. Yeah, if I see a five-year-old or a ten-year-old for that matter, I don't care how old that, just rocking out on the piano, I'm like, hmm, you little, hmm, how'd you learn that? I don't know what it is about being a grandfather that I didn't perceive as a dad. Maybe it's, maybe it's 20-something years of maturing and also recognizing your own failures. Maybe it's that I don't have the stress and strain of having to raise those kids every day and every hour. But I just had the luxury, the privilege of spending a lot of time with them. My wife watches them on Thursdays, so I got to spend Thursday afternoon. They came back Friday to spend the night because their mom had her birthday, and they were going to go celebrate. And then I got to spend some time with them Friday as well as in Saturday evening. And I got to tell you, Julie and Kaylee, my daughter, not their mother, their aunt, and Renly, my granddaughter, they all went to Cane's to buy chicken and fries for dinner Friday night. And Huxley and I were playing. Well, Huxley was playing, and I was watching. And I'm trying to keep him out of harm's way with cars coming and stuff. Uh, my daughter, Kaylee, was getting on to me because I didn't make him put on his helmet to ride his tricycle down the hill. Because I was like, dude, it's awesome. He knows what he's doing. But as we were sitting there and they were away getting chicken and fries, I looked down and I see pine cones. Some people call them acorns. And I pick up about 10 of them. And I'm like, what does he find so curious about these things? So I hand him to Huxley, who happened to be at this point in my truck bed. And what does he proceed to do? He proceeds to put them down the little hole in my truck bed <laughs> that my tie rod, you know, you're, you're going to tie something to or your ratchet strap. And my first thought was, I wonder if that's going to get wet. Is that going to rust out that thing? And I had to let that go. I said, wow, he's just, he's intrigued. And then he's putting his hand down there, and I can't get my hand down there because my hand's too fat and big. He's getting his little hand down there, and I'm like, hey, why don't you get all those out of there? And he's getting them, and he's throwing them, and I'm like, throw them into the cul-de-sac. Don't throw them in my yard. And, and I was stunned at the difference between a 53-year-old person, Grandpa, Paul to him, and Huxley, who's three and a half, and just the amazement of which he approaches life. And I asked myself, what happened to me? How did I get so stinking ordinary? How about you? Do you approach life with just this recklessness, this fearlessness, this, this humility, this trusting, this dependency? No, most of us, as we move through adulthood, we, we somehow become ordinary when we started Extraordinary. I think about Jesus. I, the Bible is, it, there's not a lot to say about Jesus as a child. So I, I'm, I'm going to give you my version of Jesus as a child. I can see Jesus sitting there at three and a half, and his mother says, drink your water. And he says, that water is now chocolate milk. <laughs> not bad. That's pretty cool. I happen to love baseball. Sure wish they'd figure that out so we could watch something here this year, but maybe they'll get to it. I happen to actually like watching younger kids play baseball versus the pros, but I like both, I guess. But could you imagine if Jesus' friends 
were sitting there one day. They're wanting to play baseball, and it's raining. And they all ring old Jesus up. He's seven now. And they said, hey, dude, it's raining outside. And he's like, let's play baseball. It's sunny. Wouldn't that be cool if that was in the Bible? All right, one more. Really? You want me to go there, huh? He's riding bikes with his friend. He's now 10 years old. He's coming down a hill like my older brother did years ago in Lexington, Missouri. And it was slightly slick at the bottom of the hill. And he slid out and broke his arm. Now, I wasn't there. At least I don't remember being there. But I heard about this so many times. Could you imagine if Jesus was there and he walked up and he just touched his friend's arm and it was healed? We don't have those stories. And I I question, why, why don't we have those stories in the Bible? Maybe it's because we don't need those stories. But we do have one little story, and it was when he was about age 12. And I'm going to read from Luke 2. And we're really going to unpack this today. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, he's 12 now, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, if you read Erwin McManus's book, chapter 2, about prodigy, he actually says something like, you know, I kind of fault Mary and Joseph here a little bit. Like, how did they not know their kid was with them? I didn't have that feeling because I've lost someone once. I actually felt for them. I was 17 years old. Went down to the Lake of the Ozarks with my girlfriend and other high school friends. And my mom and stepdad, Tony, said, why don't you take your brother? Now that's like, what? He's seven years younger than me. He was 11 at the time, even though I was about, I was about to turn 18. He was 11. So we go down to the lake, and then we go to Bagnell Dam. Now, if you've ever been to Bagnell Dam, I haven't been there in a long time. But before, it used to be a hopping place. And so we're playing in an arcade, and we're doing different things, hanging out, and all of a sudden, I look around, I'm like, Julie, that's my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, where's Jay? What, what do you, I don't know, where's Jay? All my friends, where's Jay? Where's Jay? He's, he's 11. So we look up and down the strip, and it's not a small place, even though it's, it's not as big as I remembered, but it's a small, it, it was big enough, and we looked in shop after shop after shop, And an hour goes by, maybe an hour and a half, and I am freaking out. How do you ring your mom up and say, (laughs) you know, Jay, Jay, you know Jay? (laughs) Well, he's he's at the lake. He's going to live at the lake now. (laughs) Surely he can fish. (sighs) Finally, here came my 11-year-old brother. Finally, walking up the other side of the street, just. Mm. I cannot tell you what I said to him. It would not be appropriate. It wasn't appropriate then either. I lashed out at him in extreme anger. And I'll tell you what he said to me in just a second. Let's continue this story of Jesus. So he's hanging out in Jerusalem. His parents don't know that. 
they go marching on back. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days later, not an hour, not an hour and a half, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, teachers, it says, sorry, teachers, listening to them and asking questions. He's 12. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Somehow, at 12 years old, this God-man, child, knew he was created for something. He had a purpose, and he was starting to explore what it was like with the leaders of the day who had been waiting at the temple and unpacking the scriptures, trying to find information about Jesus because there had been silence for about 400 years. No prophet had spoke. They hadn't heard the voice of God, and they were longing to hear from him unpacking the scriptures and this boy comes in and begins to listen and ask questions and they are amazed at what he knows his parents weren't exactly as excited as those religious teachers when they found him his parents didn't know what to think son his mother said to him why have you done this to us my words to jay were similar with a few expletives you moron I'm going to kill you I can't kill you, you were lost but I, I want to kill you what were you doing Jesus says to his father and mother why, why did you need to search almost dumbfounded why didn't you know that I must be in my father's house if you know me you know about my birth mom, stepdad you know all the amazing things that have happened over my life, even to this time. Didn't you know I should be trying to connect with my father? And the temple was the place where that was said to have been done in the Older Testament before Jesus came of age and started his ministry. Didn't you know? My younger brother says, didn't you know that I was in a t-shirt shop spending the 50 bucks mom gave me to have a Guns N' Roses airbrush t-shirt? It looks good on you, and we're going to bury you with that T-shirt on. <laughs> I, was, I was very upset, and his parents were too. And they weren't quite as amazed as the, as the religious teachers. It says they didn't understand what he meant. It says, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored up all these things in her heart. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This young boy spent the next 18 years-ish with his parents. And I think it was amazing when I read that last sentence that he was obedient to them. I used to kind of just throw that away. What does that mean? Well, he's a good kid. He was actually practicing the very thing that would lead him to the cross. Obedience. This God-man-child prodigy stunned people. And I wonder if we're to get back to our genius, if we're to find our focus, and, and hear me here, I'm not talking about your occupation. Because sometimes an occupation and a genius work out. Steve Jobs invented Apple. He made some money. I don't know if you knew that. Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Maybe they're genius tied to their income, but for the majority of us, I don't think it does. 
How did we get so ordinary when we started out so extraordinary? Let me tell you the rest of the story about the study that was done. Those 1,600 children that the study was done on at age five, that 98% of them tested out at genius level. By the age of 10, only 30%. By the age of 15, 12%. And so they did a similar test on 280,000 adults. And you know what percentage tested out at the genius level? Two. Why is that? Why is it if we were born with this extraordinariness, if we were born geniuses, if we truly had the stamp of the living God put upon us, how did we get so ordinary? Now, maybe you don't think of yourself as ordinary, but you are. Did we, in our maturity, did we also settle for less? I, I, as I was wrestling with this this week, I, I thought about my parenting over the years. And I thought about what I taught my children where I ultimately helped them stop thinking in a divergent way, which is outside of the box. And I started to help them think inside the box. I went back to when I was six years old and I remember being in first grade in the Philippine Islands and, and, and being so stressed out about the next arithmetic test that my parents were like, what are you doing to yourself? Because I thought that performance meant I was loved. I thought I had to be right. I could not be wrong. I remember coloring in a coloring book as a kid. I don't know how many of you have done that. I almost want to teach Huxley and Renly, color outside those lines. I don't care. I used to color meticulously in the lines. And then, if that wasn't enough, I had to get the black crayon. Anybody else? And outline the living snot out over the black lines that were already there. Like, stay in the boat, John. And I wonder if humanity, as we mature, and responsibility and expectation starts to weigh on us, and we just kind of give up. And we say, well, I guess I'm just going to have to find a way to make a living. And I say, I can say this better as a grandparent. You find a way to make a life. Don't make a living. I don't care if you live in my basement till you're 40. You pursue what God designed you to do. I remember telling my kids, I don't care if you go to college. Now, some of you are like, don't you say that out loud. I don't care if my kids went to college. One went for four years, one went for two. I didn't care. I said, I hope that you will search God's heart and soul and mind for you and find what he has crafted you to do, both for an occupation and maybe separately from that, a passion. We get so hung up on money, on accomplishments, on maturing on doing the right thing, on staying within the lines, that we lose our ability to think creatively. We lose this sense of wonder that I see in my grandkids. And I'm asking myself as a grandfather and father, how do, how do we influence them to think differently? 
How do we influence them to pursue their genius, pursue their focus? And then let me stop right there and say this for all of us. You're never too old to pursue your genius. For those of us that are parents or grandparents or friends or aunts or uncles, whatever we are, sure, we can look at them and go, wow, they're still moldable. We're still moldable. One of the greatest things I think children bring, this humility and also this teachability. I watched Renly yesterday. She's the only one in humanity that cares for my singing, okay? But yes, she, she does this, by the way. When, when, when she wants to say, uh-huh, she goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you, you're like, I think you mean uh-huh. She's like, uh-huh, because she does that. So she gets in this little rocking chair in her house, and she goes, starts to sing. Rock, hey, whatever, we're, you know, I, I'm like, she's singing Rockabye Baby. So I start singing with her. Song ends, she goes, uh-uh. I'm like, you want Paul to sing another song? Uh-uh. You're the only human being who truly appreciates my angelic voice. The sense of wonder and amazement, the ability to learn, I think, we still have as adults. We have so suppressed it with so many things over our lifetime, some good, some bad, that I ask myself, could we ever get back to that childlike state? Jesus talks, the verse was up here earlier, and he talks in Matthew 18 about, hey, you let those little children come to me because they, if you, you have to become like them to inherit the kingdom of God to be the greatest in heaven. The disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus just says, he grabs this little child and puts the child in front of them and says, you have to become like this child to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because the child has understood that they're humble and learning and dependent and needy. That doesn't mean kids aren't rotten at some level. Hey, I get it because they're just like you and I. They become more sinful beings as their life moves on. But what is it about them that we could learn from? I think, I think for me, it's like really turning to Jesus and saying, I don't know if I really believe that you're fond of me. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that the God who created the universe, or let me, you know, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe, if God created you, if he created this universe, do you believe that that amazing being who brought all this into existence is fond of you? I'm in one of these genius, uh, real genius groups. Tuesday night, we were going through the first chapter kind of watching that short video and having a discussion around the genius of Jesus. And my I will, so we, we try to say, well, how are you going to live that out this week? How are you going to try to put that into practice? That's what we try and do in our groups so that we don't just soak in knowledge or have it pass through one ear and out the other so that we attempt to live it out. And mine was to take a 20-minute solitude walk. So Friday, I missed the opportunity Wednesday. It was so nice. Friday, it turned nice again. And I went out to my stepdad's pond, and I just took a walk. And the 20 minutes turned into an hour. And somewhere on that walk, 
I heard God say to me, in not an audible voice, <laughs> but like, hey, hey, Sean, I'm pretty fond of you. You don't always have to be right. Matter of fact, I love you just the same when you're wrong. You may not, but I do. I'm fond of you. Thanks for taking this walk with me. Thanks for slowing down. And not always thinking you're so darn important that you got to work, 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 and do, do, do. That you can be, be, be with me. Do you believe that the genius of Jesus could restore or reawaken the genius in you? Do you believe that? See, I don't think he's going to make me or you the next Albert Einstein. And when I first heard that word genius as we moved into this book, that's who I pictured in my mind is Albert Einstein standing at a chalkboard and writing some mathematical equation that we're all like, what? And other people had other ideas from Steve Jobs to Abraham Lincoln and, and many others that were like, oh, I hadn't thought of it like, like that. I don't know if God wants to make each of us some crazy mathematician, some amazing mathematician, not crazy necessarily. Does he want to make us all some phenomenal musician? Is he going to allow me to, to play the guitar like Eddie Van Halen did? I can tell you what, no. Because I'm not willing to put in the work. Is he going to allow me to make the money that Jeff Bezos has? No, probably not. And probably not you either. So then what genius could he awaken in us? What genius could he awaken in us that might help us greater resemble his image in us and reflect that back to him? And I've thought about that a lot. This book is really challenging some paradigms I have in my life. I thought about my own spiritual journey. I was telling the guys Saturday morning in a men's group that 25 years ago, when I was in the Air Force, I wouldn't have given a crap about them. I was a pretty selfish guy. Pretty narcissistic. I remember when I was 16, I think, 17, somewhere in there, I was looking in the mirror and doing my hair or something, and my mom said something like, you're just being narcissistic. And I'm like, oh, I am not. And what, wait, well, hold on, what does narcissistic mean? Okay, we didn't have Google then. I had to go to a dictionary. It's like I was enamored with myself. And I told the guys, I really don't, would not have cared about you. But something that God has done in me, showing me my own brokenness, showing me my judgmentalism, but also showing me that he has created this love for others in my life. And I can't explain it apart from him. And you know what? There's genius in that. His genius is transferable, as Justin said last week. I could spend months with Mozart. Well, I can't now, but if I could. And I would never compose anything musically. But I've spent months and years with Jesus, and this hard heart has started to soften. I love people differently. I love my kids, my grandkids, my wife differently. If Julie could get up here and march you through the years you would see a transformation. That doesn't mean I do everything right, because Julie can correct that too. But there is something about the genius of Jesus 
that can transform us all. I think about my good friend Jason. Thursday, I was up here working on this message, and I just needed a break because I was just, I don't know, God. I don't know, I don't know where to go with this, God. And I walked down to the restroom, and then I saw Jason down there painting. So I went down and interrupted him. I thought, well, if, if I'm not going to get something done, maybe I'll interrupt my good friend who's also on staff here, and he won't get something done. No, that's not why I did it. But I walked down there because he's a great friend of mine. And we had this great conversation. It was almost an hour, hour and a half, and we were just talking. And, and I was reminded of my friend Jason and the transformation of his genius because of the genius of Jesus. This is a man who years ago would not answer the door for the pizza delivery person. He so feared interaction or didn't crave it, didn't desire it, didn't want it, any interaction, even like, hey, how's it going, man? Five bucks, Jim? Okay, whatever. Not even that. To now engaging people personally one-on-one. He's leading our marriage community. He's engaging parent, or couples in a small group. And that's not just once and done. And I sat there and thought, oh, that's, that's the genius of Jesus right there. Working out the genius in your life. And he, we were both kind of like, wow. I think about my friends, Tim and Michelle. Oh, Julie and I owe so much to Tim and Michelle backs. They're our backyard neighbors. They introduced us to this crazy little church called Chill Creek. But they, a few years ago, I decided to buy some pickleball equipment because I thought, I'm going to play some pickleball. Do you guys know what pickleball is? Okay, sorry if this offends anyone. It's tennis for old people. <laughs> okay, I, I'll take that because I'm an old person. It's actually not. It's actually a really fun game. But I bought paddles and balls off Amazon. And, of course, if you're me, you have to research it until the nth degree, and then you find some paddles. You buy four. You buy some balls. They stayed in a bag for three years. Tim Michelle finally rang me up and said, hey, can, can we borrow those? Because you're really not putting them in any use. Great. Sure. They borrow them. They get, they get into this community, and then they begin to build this community and form connections and relationships with people that play pickleball. And in the last six weeks, they invited me to maybe kind of put some of that stuff to use that I bought. Julie will tell you that I actually had to buy a new paddle because, you know, I had to buy something a little more expensive. They have been transformed by the genius of Jesus. It may not be what you and I think of first when we say the word genius, but that's the challenge that Erwin Raphael McManus puts forward in his book. And we're going to explore for the next six weeks the different types of genius that he can awaken, that he can reawaken in each of us. I think about two, two guys in my men's group. I didn't ask them if I could share this, so I apologize, gentlemen. I, I think of Pat. I think of Tim. Another Tim, not Tim Bax. These two men have endured some great pain in their life. They lost a, a loved one that was very near and dear to their hearts. And I've watched, just in the time that I've got to sit with them and connect with them, I've watched God move in their lives and soften their hearts to love differently, to, to challenge to be a different kind of person, to, to understand that that pain is going to be with them for the rest of their life, but it doesn't have to define them, not that it necessarily did, but that they can then move beyond and find connection and love today and I thought about that yesterday I was like that's the genius of Jesus 
this 12-year-old boy who amazed the scholars became a man and then he transformed some disciples and then a few more disciples and they in turn have transformed this world because they've shared this amazing genius of Jesus with, with people all through the generations to you and I. So the last question I'm going to ask you, do you believe that the genius of Jesus can awaken the genius in you? Okay, that's not the last question I'm going to ask you. If you believe that his genius can awaken the genius in you, what are you willing to do to see that happen? What I, what I don't want you to leave here thinking is that you have to do something legalistic. That you have to draw within the lines. That you have to be right and your life cleaned up before you come to Jesus, so to speak. That's exactly the opposite of what the gospel says. He says, come. I know you're broken. I know you're sinful. I hung on a cross for that. And then I defeated that sin and that death. And I came back to life. And I promise to dwell in you if you will just invite me in. So for those of you that might be just wrestling with that, invite them in. Spend some time there contemplating that. Take you a nature walk if that's what you like or whatever, whatever floats your boat in that sense. However you can find some solitude and just say, you know what, I don't even know if I believe all this, but I invite you into my life because I... I, I want to see this genius that was in me as a child be reawakened. And I want to see what that can do in my life and the lives of those that I connect with. I would encourage you to pick up that book. I would encourage you to read that book. Not, don't read it all at once. For all you hardcore readers out there, don't power through it. Take it a chapter at a time. Join a group. Hear how other people are interacting with this. I've sat in three different groups this week, and I just listened to people interacting with this possibility that Jesus was a genius, and that because he was a genius, or if he was a genius, how can that transform my life? How could I have my genius reawakened? And it doesn't mean that we all left all those groups like, hey, got it figured out. Yeah, I'm a genius. No. A lot of our heads were in our hands like, oh, wow, I don't, I don't know. This is challenging me to think differently. I don't, I've never thought of myself as a, as a genius. But I have watched in my lifetime so much over the last 22 years, especially as Jesus has invaded my life, I've watched him invade people's worlds. I've watched him change people. And that's when I read a book like this and I'm like, wow, of all the geniuses that ever walked this planet, I personally think he was the greatest because he has impacted so many people and he's not done. And regardless of how old you think you are or if you think you're too old, I would challenge you to think differently that he still has something in mind for you. He may have something so amazing we can't even fathom it if we will just open our hearts and our minds to who he could make us to be. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I, uh, I think I thanked you on Friday, but if I didn't, thank you for 
meeting me <laughs> as if you had to show up. <laughs> I think I just had to show up. Thanks for uh, just that overwhelming feeling I had that day that you were fond of me, regardless of my performance, regardless of how much I make, regardless of what I do for a living, regardless of my intellect, regardless of my skill. And I know you think that of everyone else on this planet. Those in this room, those watching online, and everyone else that's not. That you are fond of them. You created them. And that you want to transform our very essence. You want to transform our character. And that that true genius that you have can, can just be passed on to and through us. God, help us to trust you as a child, to be humble and dependent and needy. Help us to explore, to take risks, to have wonder, to look at you like a child does in awe and think, yeah, you can do that for me. Thank you that we don't have to stay where we are, that you can transform us and help us to be who we were meant to be. And thank you for Jesus who makes that possible. Amen.